Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ's Covenant. If you are visiting with us this morning, we are so glad you are here. And I am going through the book of Ephesians. I've been doing that for the last several months. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll be reading a few verses beginning with verse 25 from the ESV translation. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. This is God's holy and inspired word. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Children, kindergarten through second grade, you are dismissed for children's church. As I mentioned a minute ago, I've been preaching through a sermon series looking at the book of Ephesians. It is a masterpiece of a letter that Paul wrote to Christians over 2,000 years ago. And the first three chapters of Ephesians, it deals with a theological foundation or theological doctrines of the Christian faith. It's the essentials of the faith, and it's really rich theology that Paul wrote about. And at the beginning of the book, he talked about how we as Christians have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. Uh, We have been delivered from our sin and from our death, and we have been given a new home. We've been adopted into the family of God. And in in chapters 1 through 3, Paul emphasizes this point of how we are children of God and how we are to embrace this incredible doctrine of the grace of God and how it has changed us. Now as we look through chapters 4 through 6, Paul shifted gears as he first talked about theological foundations of the Christian faith. Now he talks about practical application of the Christian faith. And he talked about how we are to walk in the ways of Jesus and what it looks like for us today even in the church and how we are to be Christians. And last week I talked about how Paul wrote about how we are to put off the old man and the old woman that is still in us and we are to put on our new identity as Christians. We are to put on our new identity as people who follow Christ and last week I talked about what does that look like? How do, we, how do we fight the old man and woman in us? And how do we put on the new man and woman who are in us in Christ? And I mentioned last week how to fight the old man and woman in us, we are to mortify the flesh. We are to kill it. We are to daily repent of our sins and we are to cling to Jesus. We are to put off our heart affections away from our idols that we put in place of Jesus. And instead we are to put on our new identity as Christians and to walk humbly in the ways of Jesus. This is easier said than done for Christians because even though we have the Holy Spirit in us when we become Christians, we also still have our sinful flesh our human nature. In our sinful flesh, it messes with our minds and it messes with our hearts where it really wants us to go back into the sinful lifestyle that we had before we were Christians. We are to, it wants us to go back to our old man and to our old woman 
and the ways of how we lived instead of putting on this new person and this new identity in Christ. And so not only are we to repent of the old man, but we are also to put on the new by vivification, by, by being invigorated in our faith, by trusting that Jesus has forgiven of our sins and that he, he promises a new life for us. And he, and he challenges us to walk in obedience and faithfulness in him. Well, as we continue journeying through chapter 4, Paul, at the end of chapter 4, he gives us five examples on how to put off the old man and woman in us, the sinful nature, and how to put on what Christ wants us to do and who Christ wants us to be. Today, we're going to look at three of those examples, and next week, we're going to finish chapter 4 by looking at the remaining two. The first example that Paul told us and he gave us to do on putting off is he told us to put off lying and falsehood, and instead, we are to put on truth-telling. And each of these examples that Paul gave us in this text, he not only gives us an example of what to put off, an example of what to put on, he also tells us a reason why we are to do that. And so in verse 25, he said, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Paul wrote here saying, we've got to put off lying, we've got to put on truth-telling, because we are members of of one another. Now, if you think about the word lie, lying or lies, <laughs> you can easily come up with examples in your mind. Just think about our society and how, how our society is filled with lies. Just watch commercials and you'll see it. A commercial like right now during the Olympics, you'll see these Olympic athletes and they're drinking this energy drink or this Powerade drink and, and they make you believe that if you drink that drink too, you can be just as athletic as these Olympians. Or have you ever heard the, the jingle, every kiss begins with K? One time I bought my wife Stephanie a necklace from K Jewelers and I said, Stephanie, every kiss begins with K. And she did kiss me, but it's because I asked her to. It wasn't a response. So guys, don't buy into the lie that if you just go to Kay Jewelers, your wife's going to kiss you. She may not. It's no guarantee. Hopefully she will, but it's no guarantee. We also think about if, if you watch commercials that uh, show fishermen and they wear these flannel shirts. If you just put on a flannel shirt, then you'll be an avid fisherman like these guys. Really? I guarantee if I put on a flannel shirt and I went fishing, I'd catch nothing. That's just what happens when I go fishing. I'm a terrible fisherman. We not only see it in commercials, we also see lies in politics. Think about when, when, you, when you have these presidential debates. What happens after the debates? There's commentary and there's always fact checks. Why are there fact checks? Because oftentimes politicians, they over-exaggerate, maybe? And that oftentimes happens. And, and we also can think about how lying happens in the workplace where uh, you can uh, steal work supplies or you can uh, steal uh, from clocking in later or not putting in a full day's worth of work and you steal from your employer in that way. Lying happens all over the place. But Paul specifically wasn't just talking about lying in society. He was talking about lying in the church. And he was saying here that falsehood and lying can destroy the church. It can confuse a church, and it can make a church dysfunctional. 
John Calvin, he said, lying is a monstrosity. So what did Paul mean when he said to put away falsehood? Well, falsehood, the Greek word for falsehood is pseudos, and it implies a number of categories when we think of lying. It could mean betraying a confidence, making false promises, telling a white lie. It could even include gossip or slander. It can mean exaggerating a story, misrepresenting facts, or even out-and-out contradictions. We know that churches have split because of lies. You may know this example, but Jonathan Edwards, who who helped lead an incredible movement in revival for the Lord uh, way back when, uh, when our nation was forming, he helped start the Great Awakening. And he had great success in, in Northampton. And, and a number of people became Christians. And the church came alive uh, that, that he was serving. Well, right after this great awakening took place, he had a member of his church, one of his dear friends, make up a lie about him. And because of that, Edwards resigned. He said, I'm not even going to fight this lie because I know it's going to divide the church. And it's going to be a he said versus a he said account. Well, Edwards ended up leaving the church, and about 10 years go by, and the elder confessed that he made it all up. He slandered Jonathan Edwards' name. Well, it was a little too late for that church, wasn't it? Unfortunately, this kind of stuff happens, and in the church, it can be extremely divisive. And the way we can do it in the church is we can, we can overshare. And I think about gossip when it comes to, to prayer request. Think about it. Well... Lord, I just pray for this this marriage because it's falling apart and there's others in the room and they didn't know anything about the marriage. Or Lord, I pray for this person's health condition because it's really getting bad and this is how it's getting bad and this is the conversation I had with my, my friend yesterday about their health. Well, that person may not have wanted you to divulge that information to everyone. But so often in just our prayer request, we can throw another person under the bus if we're not careful. And Paul is saying, be careful because we are members of one another. We are a family. And instead of gossiping and making slanderous accusations and comments, we should build one another up with love and with truth. But unfortunately, so often in the church, we tear one another down. So how do we truth tell in this body at Christ's covenant? How do we we tell each other the truth? What do we do? Well, the Heidelberg Catechism, it actually gives us a good commentary and a good answer on, on how we are to go about telling the truth to one another. And it, and it answers the question, what is God's will for you in the ninth commandment? And I, even though it's wordy, I really want you to pay attention to it because it's really helpful as we unpack this answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. It said, what is God's will for you in the ninth commandment? The answer is, God's will is that I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone without a hearing or without a just cause. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are devices the devil himself uses, and they would call down on me God's intense anger. I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it, And I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. Now there's a lot here, so let me briefly unpack it. What's it saying here? It's saying first, that God's will for us as Christians, as we put on the new man and woman of Christ, we are to never give false testimony against anyone. 
And here's the second part. We are not to twist each other's words. Oftentimes in the church or even in your own family, whenever there's a conflict and it involves you, how do we typically respond? Well, we typically respond by telling our side of the story. And we also leave out important details from the other point of view and the other side of story. And oftentimes we retell the story as if we're the heroes and they're the victim or or they're the enemy. We're the hero. That's how we twist one another's words. And scripture clearly tells us don't twist each other's words, but instead represent the other person fairly and respectfully. The catechism goes on to say, don't gossip or slander. We've already kind of addressed that, but so often we do that. And I think a general rule of thumb would be, before we start talking about someone, we should ask ourselves the question, is what I'm about to say necessary? Is it even necessary to even mention this about this person? Whether it's a prayer request or not, is it helpful or is it harmful to that person? It goes on to say, nor join in condemning anyone without a hearing or without a just cause. I have learned when I do counseling, there's always two sides to every story. Always. And it may be 95% one person's fault and 5% the other, but there's still the other side. So it's important to always hear both sides of the story. And then come up with, with a solution or, or a, a, a sentence. But it goes on to say, rather, in court, and I like what it says here, and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind, because these are devices of the devil himself. And he uses these devices to destroy people and to destroy churches. And then it said, I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it, and I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. I love that sentence. I should do whatever I can to advance my neighbor's good name and reputation. As believers of Jesus Christ, and as a family, a church family, we are to not only think well of one another, but we are to build one another up in love and encouragement. We are to think well by by helping their reputation, not harming their reputation. And think the best of people and not the worst of people. And so often people assume the worst. You don't know how many times I've talked to people who have said, well, I don't think she likes me. I don't think she likes me because she avoided me or she gave me this look and I haven't talked to her in weeks. I always respond by saying, well, do you really know that she doesn't like you? Has she told you that or are you just assuming that? So often we assume that people don't like us if they give us a weird look. So let me just say, if you don't like the person, just go tell them. (laughs) That's hard to do. But just say, don't tell me you don't like them, but just say, I don't like what you're doing, okay? We need to just let it out. And in East Tennessee, we're very nice. We're very nice people. I grew up here in Knoxville, and I like to to make make sure everybody's at peace and everybody's nice and kind. You know, it's okay to be able to say, you know what? You, You really ticked me off. Let's talk through it. Because I do love you because you are a fellow Christian. You are a believer in Christ. And so we need to tell each other the truth and not just dance around it and assume that we don't like each other. No, let's talk it out. That's what Paul is saying here. Put off the lies, the deceit, and put on truth because we are family. 
Matthew Henry, he said, truth is a debt we owe to one another, and if we love one another, we shall not deceive one another. So Paul first starts by saying, here's one example. You put off lying, you put on truth-telling because we're members of one another. The second example he gave us is in verse 26 and 27. He said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Paul was saying, put off uncontrolled anger, put on righteous anger, because it will take away from Satan an opportunity for temptation. Notice what Paul said here. He said, be angry. What? That doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound biblical. Be angry? What is Paul referring to here? He's saying righteous anger. He's saying, be angry at the things that God is angry about. Think about how Jesus would oftentimes get angry. He turned the tables over in the temple. Why did he do that? Because when he went into the temple of Almighty God, what did he see? He didn't see people praying and singing and worshiping. No, he saw people selling. He saw people profiting from it. He saw people doing business in the house of the Lord. And he said, this is the house of the Lord. What are you doing? And he turns the tables over and he displays an incredible act of righteous anger. I believe in our day today, we need Christians who display righteous anger. We need a little more of that today. And what I mean by that is we need people who hate abortion. We need people who hate sex trafficking. We need people who hate murder and rape. We need people who hate addiction, drugs and opioids and alcohol that, that, that will destroy lives and families and people. We need people who hate these things. But here's the thing about righteous anger we need to remember. Righteous anger is always controlled. Righteous anger does not fly off the handle Righteous anger is not arrogant and boastful and harmful. So I'm not telling you to go out today and post everything on social media and call everybody out. That's not the way to do it because that's not controlled. I'm not telling you to go out and, 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 and fight. No, that's terrible. There's ways to display righteous anger. There is a time and place for it. But at the end of the day, we've got to realize it's important to show that kind of anger and at the same time to control that kind of anger and don't fly off the handle. And that's what Paul is getting to here. He is saying the uncontrolled, unrestrained anger is not good. It is destructive. It's destructive to families, it's destructive to churches, and it's destructive to individual lives. And how do we display this uncontrolled anger? Well, we display it in our cars. You get cut off in the interstate, and what do you do? You start flipping the person off, or you start cussing under your breath. You might even cuss out loud. What else do we do? We get angry at the waiter who's taking their time. Or at the hostess who says, it's a 15-minute wait, and it ends up being 20. You said 15 minutes. We get angry. We get angry at what we see posted on social media, and we we just freak out. 
But what about in the church? We can get angry at one another for, for, for not coming to an event that we put on. For saying that, that you're going to be there and you don't show up because of a last minute interruption. Or we could get angry at each other for, for saying something negative and, and for calling you out on something. You know, you can get mad at someone for getting mad at you. I'll give you an example. A husband could come home late from work expecting his wife to have made dinner for him. And he gets mad that the dinner's not been made. The wife in return, in response, could get angry at her husband for getting mad at her for not having dinner ready. You see where I'm getting at? We can get mad at someone for getting mad at us. Anger is relevant and it's prevalent in each one of our lives. And we either do two things with our anger. We either externalize it or we internalize it. it internalize it. We externalize it in the sense that we can just have short tempers, short fuses. And we fly off the handle and our emotions go out of control and we rage and we yell and, and we criticize. Or we can internalize our anger by harboring bitterness and resentment and even holding a grudge. What does Paul say that we need to do with our anger? He says, righteous anger, be angry, and do not sin, and don't let the sun go down in your anger. In other words, Paul specifically tells us to nip it in the bud before it nips you. Because if you don't deal with your anger quickly, it will deal with you. And I know so many people who have harbored bitterness for years because of something that happened to them from a parent or a sibling and they've harbored it and they haven't ever been able either to forgive or even to talk about it and they're holding grudges and it's just eating you alive Paul is saying don't let the sun go down on your anger deal with it otherwise it will get the best of you and Satan will have a foothold a stronghold and he will tempt you into sinning more there are times when we need to set healthy boundaries with a loved one who has constantly harmed us and those boundaries are appropriate but at the end of the day we've got to set them instead of just do nothing about it because it doesn't help you at all at all you know when when Paul said be angry do not sin and deal with it quickly it made me think about the Olympics this week as I was watching swimming I absolutely love the Olympics and I'm sure many of you have watched it too I like swimming I like the gymnastics I really like track and field that's my favorite coming up but if you remember five years ago when Michael Phelps was running or swimming he was going against this guy named Chris Delois Deloa? I don't know how to pronounce it but it's South African and Chris Deloa was his biggest competitor and he was boxing in the air just trying to intimidate Phelps and Phelps had the famous angry stare down and there's all these memes with Michael Phelps' face appearing with this angry stare down. Well, he was showing this face of intimidation to Delo's intimidation tactics of boxing in the air in front of Phelps. Well, at the end of it, Phelps, he won. And here's the thing that I loved about it. They were angry at each other. But at the end, they gave each other credit. And they said the other person helped each other get better, helped them get better. And he said, Delo, and Phelps said, Delo is, is, is one of my dearest friends, and he's a great competitor, and I highly respect him. What I love about that example is it really goes into this text. 
is that, yeah, there's going to be times where we're going to get angry at each other. But what do you do with your anger? How do you deal with it? You deal with it head on. And you don't allow a lot of time to pass. But you deal with it, and then you think well of the other person. You duke it out a little bit, and you move on. I think guys do that overall pretty well. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go fight. But I'm encouraging you to deal with it and move on. And some women deal with it well. Some men deal with it well. I don't want to overgeneralize, but I do know a lot of ladies that internalize hurt and, 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 and anger. And they just hold on to it. And they hold a grudge and bitterness. Please, let's learn to forgive and move forward. When Paul said, don't let the sun go down in your anger, I know of people who have literally taken this text to the, to the degree of staying up all night. There's a family that Steffi and I know. They've been missionaries for over 50 years, uh, and they've been married over 50 years. And they, they read this passage, and they said, anytime we get into disagreement and it's late at night, we're going to duke it out until we solve it. And they said, there have been nights where we have stayed up the entire night fighting because we don't want, to let, we don't want the, to let the sun go down on our anger. Now, that's their opinion, and I think it's worked for them, and it may have worked for some of you. I would say, for me, that there are times where we get in a healthy disagreement, my wife and I, and the lights go out, and I'll think of this first, and I'll say, you know what? I'm going to sleep on this tonight. <laughs> because if I don't, I get cranky, and it's not going to help my wife at all. It's going to make matters worse, and I'm going to say things I'm going to regret. What Paul doesn't say in this text is he doesn't say, do not let the sun go down on your dispute. Did you notice that? He said, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, what I try to do is I try to take a deep breath. I think my wife does the same thing. We try to take a deep breath. We take a time out, gather our thoughts. And sometimes we'll come back to it before we go to bed. And sometimes we'll come back to it in the morning after we rest. What I believe, though, Paul is trying to get at is don't be angry. Don't want to kill the other person. Don't, don't lash out against them. But instead, settle matters quickly. And make sure you deal with it head on. Now again, in this verse, I would, I would argue that sometimes it's okay to take a time out. It's okay to rest, gather your thoughts, and in the morning revisit it. Revisit the dispute. But, but let, me, let me give you this word of caution. Don't let 24 hours go without addressing that dispute. Deal with it. And if you're still angry at your spouse, tell them, I love you. I'm mad at you, but we're going to deal with this later, but we're going to deal with it in the within the next 24 hours because I love you that much, and this is important to deal with. Affirm your spouse that you still love them, but it's okay to say, I'm mad at you right now. You really hurt me, so let's solve this. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I think that's really what Paul's getting here. And Psalm 4-4 is a really good, uh, a good way to look at it. In your anger, do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. The psalmist is saying, when you're angry, don't sin about it. Don't rage. Don't grow hostile. But instead, take a deep breath. Take a time out. Take a pause. And on your bed, search your mind. Search your heart. Ask the Lord what you've done wrong in the situation. Instead of just blaming the other, ask the Lord, what have I done wrong here? 
and search your heart and your mind. Again, these things are for our benefit as Christians, and we are to imitate Christ, and Paul specifically gives us examples on how we are to imitate him by putting off lying, putting on truth-telling, putting off uncontrolled anger, and putting on righteous anger. The third example that Paul gave us in this text is coming from verse 28, and he said, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul specifically says, put off stealing, put on honest labor for the sole purpose so that you can help those who really need help. He's not saying, I want you to work hard so that you can get what you want. Rather, Paul is saying, I want you to work hard so that you can help others who are in desperate and dire need. The Bible has a lot to say about stealing. It has a lot to say about laziness and apathy. And unfortunately, we see in our day-to-day a lot of theft taking place. Not only do we see it where we have shoplifters, and that seems to be on the rise, but we see it even at the workplace where you can steal the, the, the supplies from your office or you can steal time from your employer. You can even steal by plagiarizing if you're a student. Be careful about those kind of things. But when it comes to the church, how do we steal and rob from God and rob from each other? Well, we can steal from one another by, by simply not using the gifts that God has given us. We can rob God by, by not exerting effort and not serving and not putting forth effort and energy. The Bible clearly says that if you're lazy and apathetic, it will hurt you. Proverbs 13.4 says, The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Proverbs 20 verse 4 said, A sluggard does not plow in season, so at harvest time he looks but finds nothing. Paul is clear in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 when he said, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. It doesn't get more clear than this. And unfortunately, our society is not helping in this matter. It's helping people stay at home when they're fully capable of working. There are so many people that are getting checks from the government and they need to be working. You just go out today to a restaurant, I guarantee you're going to see eight for hiring signs. We need people to work. And this is a result from COVID. These are the ripple effects from COVID. But right now, I can name you probably 20 places that are hiring. I've never seen anything like it. But unfortunately, our government's not helping people to, to be empowered. But instead, they're enabling people to stay at home. No. God is saying, if you have a pulse, and if you are able to work, work. Because if you don't, you're going to honestly impact the church in a negative way. But instead, we, we want you to work so that you can help those who really need it. And when I talk about those who really need help, 
I'm talking about orphans, kids who are parentless. I'm talking about some widows who are elderly that really need help. I'm talking about some elderly people that just can't get out of bed or can't get out of the nursing home. I'm even talking about people who are paralyzed or people who are mentally, severely mentally handicapped. I know people who will say, I'm, I'm mentally distressed, but they can still work. What the Bible tells us is an honest labor. Laborer is what God wants. A person who, who really tries to work and, and make it their effort to, to not take, but instead to give. Instead to give. Because there are so many people who need help, but yet we're not helping ourselves. We're just staying at home collecting a check from the government. Chuck Swindoll, he said, when we're able to provide for our own needs, we relieve the church or community from having to burden themselves with supporting us. This allows such resources to be used for those who are truly in need. At the same time, our own honest labor can produce an excess, giving us an opportunity to share from the abundance of our prosperity with those in need. The Bible is crystal clear here. Work hard. Work hard not only for the Lord, but work hard to serve others. And I want to give you one example I'll never forget. I had a senior pastor friend who was making a pretty good salary, and he had five kids, and the church let him go. And, the, and, and my friend was devastated. His family was devastated, and so he started looking for his next pastoral position, his next call. But in the meantime, do you know what he did? He didn't just wait for the next church to call him. He rolled up his sleeves, and he took a job at Lowe's making $14 an hour. And he said, it was the most humbling thing I've ever done. But he said, it was the best thing that could ever happen to me because I still was taught from the Bible, it's okay, whatever job it is, as long as you're working hard for the glory of God and to help provide for your family and to help the community as a whole. Now later, God provided him this great church job and he's doing exceptionally well now. But in reality, it was a very hard year for him. It took a year for him to get the next job. And some people are waiting for that right job to come. And it may take six months. It may take a year. It may take two years. But it's okay. It's okay to go and work somewhere else that isn't pleasant. That's maybe not something that you were thinking about. But it's the right thing. Because at the end of the day, you're called to help others and to help, people, help empower people and not enable them. And so as we look at these clear examples from Scripture, what does Paul tell us? He says, put off lying, put on truth-telling. Put off uncontrolled anger, put on righteous anger. And put off stealing and laziness and put on honest, hard work. Become a hard-working laborer for the Lord so that you can not only glorify Him and provide for yourself, but you can also help those who are really in need. And all these things are to be done by the grace of God. And the big reason is we are to be imitators of Jesus Christ.